Hello and welcome back to What Do You Know For Sure podcast with me, Anne Hughes. In this episode, I was joined by Maggie Krieg to talk about following your instincts, following your gut, and really about that innate wisdom that the signs of your life will always show you the path. That life is emerging for us. It was such a good conversation. I hope that you enjoy. Maggie, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Tell us a bit about you. Uh, my name's Maggie Craig. I recently stopped full-time work and I'm occupying myself with all sorts of different things. I'm privileged to be the chair of uh, Children First, Scotland's national children's charity, which is how you and I got to know one another, Anne. And I do, I'm on the board of the Scottish Court Service, which is fascinating, if bizarre at times. And I do some, still do some financial services work. Uh, my husband's completely retired. I have three grown-up daughters, two sons-in-law, two beautiful grandchildren. One of whom is 17 and the other is 12, going on 25 and is a right wee madam. <laughs> but we love it anyway. Yeah. And when I'm not working, um, I spend a lot of time walking with my dogs, playing the piano very badly and thinking up things for my retired husband to do. I feel he needs a list. Yes. He doesn't always have to get through all of it, but he needs a list. Uh-huh. So that's that's basically me. That's who I am. Perfect. Love that, Maggie. So tell me, what do you know for sure? Well, do you know, when you and I first started talking about this, I, I had a bit of a panic because I thought the only thing I know for sure is that I don't know anything for sure. And then I thought, well, that's not very sensible. So I had another think about it. And I kind of came at it from my own experience, but also the experience I've had talking to other women. And I think, in fact, I know the thing that I know for sure is that there are times in your life when you just have to go with whatever your instinct is telling you, mm-hmm. whatever your gut is telling you. It might not add up. It might make complete nonsense to other people. It might be a flash of instinct. It might be something you live with every day. But there are times when you go with your gut. And I, I just think that is absolutely true. And so, you know, you talked about how you've given up full-time work. You've got lots of different roles going on just now. Did your instinct, did your gut play a role in you making that decision? Absolutely. And actually, it was my gut and children first because I'd been on the board of children first for a couple of years, joined during COVID. That was totally weird but great fun if you know what I mean well it's great fun now and then it was totally weird and I was sitting um and we I can't remember the exact meeting but I just I was told that the the current chair the then chair of children first was going to step down in September now this would have been last year maybe February or something and I thought oh that's brilliant I'd love to do that and then I thought but I can't do that because I work full time and I remember you and I had a conversation about it at the time and I remember thinking but if I didn't work full time, I could do it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, that's ridiculous. Why would you give up a very well-paid job, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, no, nah, I want to do this. So actually, in a bizarre sort of way, it wasn't completely instinctive. I went away and I did the maths and we still have to have to, have to live every month. But it was an instinctive, absolutely, this is the right thing for me to do. And I was just over the moon when I found out that I got it. Absolutely over the moon. And that, to me, is another sign. You do something... Even if you're not sure of it, and afterwards when the result comes, you're absolutely spot on that it's right for you, then then that tells you something. Yeah, I totally resonate with so much of that, and especially that bit about the sign. I always think, you know, people in Scotland would quite often say, what's for you won't go by you. I don't know that I love that one, but what I love mm. is, whatever is meant to be with me is finding its way to me. Yeah. And therefore... Yeah. I think if I'm meant to do something, then it is going to show up in my life. 
you know, I yeah. need to, um, that isn't me being passive. I would never say it's about being passive and sitting and waiting for no. something to arrive. I'm very active in the things that I think I want to do. But if they don't work out for me, I'm all right with that. Uh-huh. And I think, like, for me, it's so interesting. At the start of the, the podcast, I said to you, as I say to all my guests, I don't have any set questions. We want it to be conversational. But I want it to be that somebody listening just follows the flow of it and I say things that occur to me in the moment to say. What allows me to do that is that I believe that my innate wisdom will always serve me something to say because I've never been quiet a minute in my life. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> and therefore, I'll always know what to do next. I'll always know what to say next. See that level of trust that I think I have got and probably in my in my mid forties, I would say I've had it for a few years now. I think it is probably a result of my brain injury that I can't remember everything, so I need to just trust that my judgment will be right. When did it find you that belief in your own wisdom to take you forward? Do you know, I think it kinda came and went and came and went, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. The most striking instance I can remember in my life was actually when I became pregnant with my twin girls. Because to picture the scene, I wasn't trying to get pregnant. In fact, I was deliberately trying not to get pregnant. I was on the mini pill. I was in a job that had no maternity rights because I'd only been in it for a few months. And my husband had just been told he was getting made redundant. So I trotted up to the clinic in Sandiford for a pregnancy test thinking, oh, my God, this is an utter disaster. What am I going to do? And really, really keyed up and I did the test and the doctor came back in and she said, you're pregnant. I went, yes! And I thought, oh shit, where did that come from? <gasps> because it was completely wrong. We had no money. We had, you know, it was totally the wrong thing to do if you looked at it on paper. Mm-hmm. But I knew absolutely it was what I wanted to do. Right. And it all worked out, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that was one of the first times when something so incredibly important it was it was visceral and it just it didn't come from anywhere other than my gut mm-hmm. and so there have been times since then where I haven't trusted my own judgment or I've not let myself down but doubted myself I held on to that and I think it just it, as I say it comes and goes and comes and goes but as I've got older I've learned more and more to trust it more and more does yeah. that make any sense oh totally totally and I think that where we find ourselves in a position in a world where men are just still the bosses of most things. Thankfully, at Children First, we've got a female chief exec and a female chair. But we are almost taught, aren't we, by society not to listen to our instincts? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, just do what's the right thing to do. Don't do what you're what you're telling yourself yeah. to do. And what worries me is, therefore, that if we're talking just about women, that as women, we get through a lot of our life doing what everybody thought we should do not doing what was true to us and what is the output of that because there has to be something as the output of that is that some kind of breakdown is that just complete frustration that you never did your life the way you sort of I would have liked to do you know do you you get that do you agree with that that society wants us to do the right thing not what's right for us but what's right for them almost and it's interesting because a few years ago in uh, in my previous role FCA did what they called reverse mentoring. So senior people were mentored by more junior people rather than the other way around. Nice. And we specifically had a BAME element in it. I don't know whether you call it now, but anyway, we've called BAME then. Anyway, so I was mentored by a young woman called Adenuki, and she was absolutely lovely. 
And that young woman knew exactly what she wanted to do. And at first I had, in my white supremacist kind of attitude, I had expected that her main her difficulties would have come from her ethnic origin. But actually it wasn't just that. That girl grew up in a tower block in South London. She became a young woman in a tower block in South London. She had brothers but no sisters. She had quite a domineering father. And nobody else in the family even worked. And she wanted to go to college. She wanted to get a college qualification. She wanted to work for a big organisation. She wanted to make something for herself. But her family, not only did they not work, but they were completely unsupportive of her. She got no help. She got no encouragement. When she passed the exams, she didn't get any congratulation. She just was completely, why are you doing this? What are you doing this for? Why do you want to get out of here? Why don't you want to live on benefits? Why do you want to do this with your life? What are you playing at? And she stuck at it. I mean, it, it took her, you know, by the time I met her, she was maybe in her late 20s. And But that was because all the time there was a little voice in her head going, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. I admired that woman so much because that was instinct translated into kind of resolution and she just kept going and going and going and by the time she and I parted company at FCA she'd been promoted twice she was in a very responsible job and she was studying for a degree it was amazing and that was because she held on to what she wanted to do with her life rather than what her culture and her parents and her brothers and her living conditions and this society everybody else was telling her just you know don't bother yeah. she did an inspiring young woman uh-huh. Absolutely inspiring. Uh-huh. And it's interesting, I think, like, you know, my oldest sister, I have a ridiculous amount of cousins, as you know, Maggie, like, we're in the 50s. And my sister was the first person to ever go to university in her family. And she's got her own law firm now, and she's very highly regarded in the work that she does. But when she was at school, the teacher was telling her, people for govern they don't go and be lawyers. So here's a wee management scheme. You've got good results. You could maybe join a shop's management scheme. But something in her made her think, no, that's not my life. I will be the first person in my family to ever go to university. I will be a lawyer. I will have my own law practice. I will make a difference in people's lives. So therefore, it's always been shown to me, probably, because she's 10 years older than me. So she, it's always been illustrated to me that you can listen to yourself about what you know to be true for you and you do that. And I think that makes me lucky because if there's something that comes up in this podcast time and again, it's women, I think, in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s saying, I wish I knew all this like 30 years ago to change yeah. your life. Because we all get to a place where we just are more sure of ourselves, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I'm very grateful that I feel my daughters are a lot more sure of themselves, uh, you know, when they were younger and and now than I was at that age. I remember, I think I told you this story once before, one year, um, my oldest girl, Fiona, had, we were down at the parents' night and her history teacher said that she'd won the history, she was top of the history class for a year. And he said that he told the whole class that she was top of the history class for a year. And there were a crowd of boys up the back of the room going, making noises. So I leapt to her defence as you do. And I said, well, what did you do about it? To the teacher. And the teacher said, well, I didn't get a chance because apparently Fiona turned up, stood up, turned around, looked at the back of the class and said, you get some sort of problem, pal. Now, there is no way I would have done that when I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. I would have been terrified of a group of boys barracking me from the back of the class. But she just, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's great that they have that confidence. you know, And, and I see it in my granddaughter now as well. It's mm-hmm. just lovely that they grow up with far more confidence and far more 
self-belief than I was ever allowed to have, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so see, now that you know, because there's plenty about you saying you've gave up full-time work and you're doing some other stuff, do you feel that knowing that your instinct's always going to guide you in the right direction makes you excited about whatever's going to come next? Because you are in quite a, a good space, aren't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because you can do anything you've got, you you know, yeah. you've got everything about you to do stuff for another 10, 15, 20 years, Maggie. So what can yeah. you offer to the world and what can the world offer to you? Are you feel quite yeah. excited about that? I do. I remember years ago my mother telling me, and at the time I thought it was a really harsh thing to say, but she said, Margaret, never imagine that the world owes you a living, the world owes you nothing, it was here first. And I thought, oh, that's a bit tough. But actually, when I think about it, it's really positive because the world doesn't owe me anything, and but I can make what I want of it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of thing I've got to, because at first I thought that was a really harsh, negative thing for her to say. But I think she was, I mean, she died when I was quite young, and I think, I know we had a lot of conversations. I, she knew she was dying. She knew she had cancer. And I think what she was doing was preparing me, having conversations that she would have had with me when I was maybe 18 or 19. But she knew she wasn't going to be around. And I feel that was such an act of love for her to have those conversations with me. And I'm sure that's what she meant. She was trying to tell me that I would need to get a grip on things, that I had to make things for myself. And I think now, at some point, gradually over the years, that I've realised that a huge part of that is not just writing it all down and, you know, these lists that HR people say, put the pros on one side and the cons uh-huh. on the other side. I can't be asked for that. Just it's your instinct a lot of the time. As we know, we both lost our mums when we were very young. And as I say, but I had I had these two big sisters that had done all the stuff, went to university, done all, and it, were encouraging me and were very far ahead of me in terms of age. So I sort of, I can get where my push came from, right? My inspiration mm-hmm. came from. What about you, Maggie? What do you think led you, you know, being a wee girl, not having your mum, but still becoming like in the big jobs you've had and the positions you've had, what do you think that was? Was that your innate wisdom and your instinct a way back as, as a teenager? It might have been, but do you know what I think it was? Do you know what a huge part of it was? It was curiosity. Mm. But you know how some people, often men, their careers are kind of linear. They do this, and they be an assistant manager, and then they be a manager, and then they be assistant director. You know, it's all linear. I've never done it like that. I've always looked at Something's come across, I'm like, oh, that looks interesting, and off I go. And so that's point one. And I think underneath that, there must have been an instinctive that I was curious about things that I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I've done is quite often I've sat down and I've looked back at my career. And I might not have known it at the time, but if I look back at what I've been doing, I can see patterns. Yeah. I really am into communication. I'm really into problem solving. I have a social conscience that's as wide as the world. It really matters to me how the world is. And if I look back at everything I've done, everything I've done has had one or other of those elements in it. Mm-hmm. So I think it it was it it kind of manifested as curiosity. But I think underneath that there probably was quite a lot of instinct. I maybe just didn't learn to trust it until I was a bit older. Ah, you know? so there's the thing, isn't it? About us not trusting ourselves. Ignoring that wee voice, I don't ignore yeah. the wee voice. As you know, I, I was I was Noel, and the wee voice I think saved my life. No, it was a brain surgeon that saved my life. But do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think they saved my inner self. 
And so now I'm very tuned into that wee voice that says, I am so tuned into it, Maggie, that if I'm driving somewhere and my instinct says to me, don't go that way, go a different way, I go a different way, even if it's longer. Because I'm so tuned into that wee voice and what it's telling me to do. So you think that's always been there, but at some point the change maker was that you started listening to it? I think so. I think I started listening to it. I think that, that time when I found out I was pregnant was a big surge of it. And then just there were a couple of other instances in my life where things went wrong, and I don't really want to go into them too much, but things went wrong, and, and I thought, I am going to cut this person out of my life because they are toxic and horrible and nasty, and I don't need them. Mm-hmm. And on paper, that was a really stupid thing to do. It was a really dangerous thing to do, but I knew absolutely it was right, and I did it. Mm-hmm. So I think once you've done it, once or twice, or for me anyway, once I'd done it once or twice, and it proved to be so absolutely manifestly the right thing, not just at the time, but once it had played through, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. then I thought, actually, do you know what? I'm not stupid. I'm not silly. I'm not being ridiculous. I don't have to reduce everything to words on paper. Sometimes no. I just know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not daft. I've always sat down. If it's a new job, I've worked out the money and can we survive this and all that. I'm not, you know, I'm not running after some harebrained thing all the time but it's been the kind of big emotional decisions that I've thought no you know this is this is where you go with this Uh and I think what's probably new for me and like in my 40s and recent years is when I make a decision about something because I agree if there's people in your life that are toxic you you know I'm all about loving kindness I really am but I'm not having toxicity in my life and so others could see that as me being cruel or whatever but I no longer feel the need to justify myself to other people. I'm going to make the decisions that I am going to make. Yeah. And I'm happy with that. And if you want to have a problem with it, you have a problem with it, it's your business. Do you know you're that? absolutely right? Because that person that I cut out of my life was was a member of my family. And there was another member of my family came at me shortly afterwards that obviously didn't put up to it by by him and said, I don't understand what you're doing. How can you possibly do this? And I, I actually said I I didn't say it myself. I was so gobsmacked by because it was quite a quite an aggressive attack. And my husband Denny was with me, and he actually went and he put his hand on my shoulder and he went, "She doesn't have to justify her decision to you or anybody else." And I thought, "Do you know he's absolutely right? I don't have to explain myself to you. I don't have to justify what I'm doing. I did this, you know, and it was why you've been so unkind to him and blah blah blah." And I thought, "No, I'm not. This is not." about attacking anybody this is self-protective I have decided I do not need this toxic presence in my life if you're unhappy with that you'll have to work that through because it's not my problem exactly exactly and I think like like one of the things that I said way back at the very start of this podcast at number one was that and that still holds true for me today is that I don't take things personally it's not personal if you have an attack at me because I'm not talking to that person then that's something that you've got going on and I'm not taking responsibility for whatever it is you've got going on I'll just take responsibility for myself and I can stand by my decisions yeah and I'll tell you, it's a lovely way and it feels very natural for me because I've been doing it for a while now. But when I talk about it and other people are sort of a quite like, wow, I wonder what that feels like. <laughs> feels good, people. It's feels very good. empowering. It's uh-huh. very empowering. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because there's less dubiety in life. It's like, as you know, you know my, a couple of my kids have got autism and I, I love neurodiversity. I love that everything is quite straightforward and you know exactly what's expected. You know exactly what people want. 
And I quite like that because I quite yeah. like that there's no Dubai here. And I don't know if that's actually influenced me and in being like, I'm just going to be straight about what yeah. I want to say because yeah. if I if I flower it up and I make it clumsy, then nobody will actually understand what I'm trying to say and that's pointless. Let's just get through it and I'll say what I mean. With kindness, yeah. obviously, most of the time, Maggie. Yeah. But yeah. do you feel so, when we think about all that and we put all that together, no justifying yourself, no having that, that self-doubt, trusting that the path is going to show itself to you. Does that feel quite exciting? It does. It does. And it kind of, one of the things you were saying there kind of resonated with me in the sense of this business of having to explain yourself to other people or justify yourself to other people. My experience is it's usually women that are asked to justify themselves and explain themselves. And I just, I think it, it does feel very exciting. And the other thing it feels is it's liberating because it means there's so much rubbish that I don't need to have time for anymore. So, but you know, I just don't need to do all this rubbish. And and again, like you, not in a kind of nasty or selfish way. Um, and I would all, you know, I I think I'm a kind and tolerant person. I'm not patient. I know that, but I'm, you know, I'm tolerant, and I I I have strong beliefs, and I try my best to live by my beliefs. But I don't. There are things I don't have to compromise on, and that's very liberating because it gives me more time and energy, physical, emotional, mental, to devote to things that I really want to do, rather than wasting it on a lot of nonsense like HR protocols, which I don't have to bother with anymore. Thank I, God. I, I totally get that. I totally. I remember when I went freelance, it was just as all the GDPR stuff was coming in, uh, the data, you know, data protection stuff, and I thought, oh, thank God, I'm not leading a team and having to do all that. But yeah, actually just uh, before we, we finish up you brought up something there that I'm glad I'm getting to share on, it took me 139 podcasts, see when you use the words of this podcast what I know for sure is before you say a statement in that sort of a work environment round a board table see when you follow anything we're saying what I know for sure is this and you nobody disagrees with you because you've just told them you know it for sure it is mighty powerful words to use. I don't yeah. use them often, but when I use no. them, everybody just goes, all oh, right, okay, Anne knows that for sure and agrees with me. Uh huh. And I've not used it very often, it's but it's a top tip for everybody out there. Say what I know for sure is <laughs> before you follow up with what you know for sure. So, what's next, Maggie, for you? I'm just going to enjoy myself for a while. I think I could probably take on something else, but I'm just, I'm really enjoying, you know, little things. Small pleasures, being able to try recipes that I haven't been able to try before. I'm walking a lot more. I'm averaging between four and five miles a day. I'm doing my, I'm doing yoga in the morning. So it's just, it's having more time and not being rushed. And I think probably a cousin of mine's very fond of saying that something that is for you should, a bit like you, but for her, her phrase is emerge. Something will emerge. Ah, and I've got this sense that. that probably in a couple of months' time, something will emerge, and I'll look at it and think. Oh, I quite fancy that. And again, my curiosity will go, oh, yeah, and my instincts will tell me whether it's right or not. But at the moment, no, I'm having a ball. I really am. Wonderful. <laughs> great. Thank you. The dream. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Thank Maggie. You. Hello and thank you for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can do that across social media by searching Anne Hughes Ignite. 
If I refer to my radio show and the podcast, you can catch those on my Mixcloud. Again, just searching Anne Hughes Ignite. And if you or anybody you know want to answer this question with me, please do get in touch. Just go onto my website, annehughesignite.co.uk and fill in the contact page at the bottom and I'll be delighted to have this conversation with you too. Thank you.